Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. You're listening to Latin Ways and your host, Sylvia Richardson. I'm delighted to be joined by Jorge Marti, the Hensaf Venezuela Secretariat. Thank you for joining us, Jorge. Uh, it's a pleasure to be with you, as always. Now, there is so much to speak in a very new year. 2023 has barely started, but there's a lot that has gone on. So I'd like to offer this perhaps as a review of the year so far. And I wonder if we could start with the Bolsonarista movement that began in January. This was uh, uh, some some beginning of the year. It, were, it was a bit like a, a repetition of the Trump uh, assault of the Capitol in the United States. And more or less the same thing happened in, in Brazil. The, the Bolsonaro supporters had been protesting. Since the end of uh, November, they did not want to recognize the result of the elections, which uh, had given the victory to Lula, the candidate of the Workers' Party. And they had uh, done all sorts of things. They had been camping out outside the military barracks, demanding the intervention of the army. And uh, the army was not very keen to intervene, but at the same time was not very keen to remove these people from outside the military barracks. And this all went into a crescendo. And uh, at the beginning of January, a group of them, but it wasn't a very large uh, number, but a group of them that uh, were camping out in Brasilia, the capital of Brazil, and others that had arrived in uh, coaches from different parts of the country, they decided to assault, to take over the three main buildings that are the, the site of the institutions of power in, in, the, in the capital, the, the Supreme Court presidential palace and the national uh, congress uh, the most scandalous thing uh, is that is that the the police the military police which is under the control of the regional uh, governor of brasilia did not do anything to stop them on the contrary they, they seem to be escorting the, the the bolsonaro supporters as they were going to carry out an, the illegal invasion of, of uh, official uh, buildings uh, and and there was clear complicity between the ministry minister of the interior in the region of Brasilia, who is a Bolsonaro supporter. He is actually a former minister of the Bolsonaro government and the Bolsonaro supporters who acted in a completely uh, thuggish and uh, and hooligan uh, way in assaulting the institutions of of power. Uh, But however, this, this was a very weak movement. Uh, it was uh, small in numbers. It did not have fundamental support of any wings of the armed forces. And in fact, uh, everyone came out against this uh, attempt very early on. And by the end of the day, the military police had now uh, obeyed the orders from uh, Lula, removed these people from the official buildings and arrested a few hundred of them. And that was the end of it. But this was then followed the day after and even the same day in the evening by big demonstrations, big anti-fascist, anti-Bolsonaro demonstrations in all the main uh, cities, in Sao Paulo, in Rio, in Brasilia, 
And this is what uh, the ruling class was really afraid of, the fact that this small action by a small number of Bolsonaro supporters could provoke a massive reaction on the part of the people. And, and that's why the, the movement was put down so quickly. I have to say also that there is a lot of hypocrisy on part of uh, Joe Biden, the U.S. president, who immediately came out to say that oh, we must respect democracy and this move by Bolsonaro supporters is completely uh, scandalous and we don't support it. When the same government, the government of Joe Biden, has supported a military coup, a, a civic mil military coup that has taken place in neighboring Peru on uh, December the 7th. So uh, it seems that the love for democracy is very, uh, is, is, a, is, a, is a clear case of double standards. In some cases they do, in some cases they don't. In fact, in Peru, the United States was behind the coup. And uh, in Brasilia, the United States did not want this coup to go uh, forward. They've uh, had enough of Bolsonaro being in power, although they are responsible for Bolsonaro's rise to uh, the presidency. But now that he has been removed, they think that perhaps Lula will be a safe pair of hands. And this is another interesting part of the story. The fact that Lula's uh, government and coalition it's composed of uh, very different uh, types of people. There's, there's obviously the Workers' Party that Lula represents, but there is also the Vice President, Alkimin, Geraldo Alkimin, who is a, an open uh, bourgeois candidate who stood against uh, the Workers' Party in previous presidential elections, was the governor of uh, Rio de Janeiro, and he is an out-and-out -out capitalist. And so the ruling class now thinks that uh, because of this uh, coalition that uh, is behind Lula and the composition of his new government, that he will be a safe pair of hands. Uh, now, if Lula does that, which seems quite likely, then he will disappoint the people who voted for him, wanting uh, a change from uh, Bolsonaro. And uh, if, he, if he doesn't do that, if he doesn't follow the dictates of the ruling class, which I think is the last, uh, least likely perspective, then he will have to break with his own uh, vice president. So that's, that's basically the situation in, uh, in Brazil. Everyone's in favor of democracy, as long as democracy uh, represents the rule of uh, capital in this, in this particular case. When I say everyone, I mean, I mean the representatives of the ruling class, the main bourgeois newspapers, uh, the, the Brazilian capitalists, and their, their masters in, uh, in Washington. And those who profiteer from war and disruption, right? Um, can we just talk a little bit about Peru? Because very little has been heard in the news about the coup in Peru. It's a complete scandal. Uh, this, is, this is a country which is one of the largest uh, producers uh, of, of a series of uh, mineral uh, resources, uh, gold and uh, others, including rare earths, uh, lithium and so on. And it's a country that's quite important from that point of uh, from that point of view. And there was a coup in in December, on the seventh of December, the president, the democratically elected president Pedro Castillo, was removed from uh, power by a vote in uh, Congress, a vote that didn't follow any of the normal uh, procedures, broke all the rules of parliamentary uh, protocol. And he was basically removed from uh, power. Early that day, earlier on, 
he had attempted to close down Congress, which is part of his powers as a president. He, he said, Congress has not allowed me to rule according to the mandate I got from the people, so therefore I'm going to close down the Congress and call new elections. It's not that he was starting a, a dictatorship, as some people have said, but he was just uh, saying the truth, that the Congress had blocked all his parliamentary initiatives. He's the democratically elected president, so he was uh, closing down Congress and convening new elections within, within the space of three months. Using that as an excuse, then the real coup developed, a coup that had been organized by the U.S. Uh, embassy. The vice president uh, of uh, Pedro Castillo, Dina Boluarte, took over. And uh, the coup had the support of uh, U.S. imperialism, but also of the mining multinationals. This is the crucial question. The mining multinationals did not like Pedro Castillo, did not want him elected, tried to prevent him from being elected in uh, July 2021. And uh, now they wanted him out. Because, why? Why is this? Uh, Pedro Castillo is, uh, is a teacher, a rural teacher who is also a trade unionist, and he was elected on the basis of uh, his presidential slogan was never again poor people in a rich country. And as I said before, Peru is a very rich country, extremely wealthy country, but the wealth of the country is controlled by uh, 16 uh, big economic uh, families and groups and the mining multinationals. One of the things that Pedro Castillo had said is we're going to renegotiate the contracts with the multinationals so that they become more favorable for the Peruvian uh, people, uh, that we get more of a share of the natural wealth that's extracted from uh, our land, which seems to me a very moderate and reasonable program. Uh, but then he said that if the mining multinationals do not agree to uh, renegotiate the contracts, then we, we will consider expropriation, nationalization. At the end of the day, these, these resources uh, belong to Peru. Um, but then, I think that uh, Pedro Castillo made a number of mistakes when he came to power. He had uh, a Congress that really he didn't have a majority. He had the opposition of the bourgeois media, the, the bourgeois newspapers, uh, and everyone was against him. So he felt a bit isolated and started making concessions to the ruling class. He removed his foreign affairs minister, who was seen as too radical by the media, he and the military, he removed his prime minister, uh, Bellido, because, uh, because he was under attack from the ruling class. And, but the problem is that none of these concessions pleased the ruling class and the mining multinationals. They wanted more. In fact, what they wanted is Pedro Castillo should be removed from power. And so he was removed on the 7th of December in, which, in, in an action which cannot be described as anything else than, than a coup a coup against the democratically elected president. Uh, but the thing is that uh, this uh, coup gave rise to a mass movement of the people, workers, the peasants, the students, came out on the streets in the thousands, they went on strike, they blockaded roads, and a big movement uh, developed. And uh, the, the new government of Dina Boluarte, with the support of the right wing, resorted to massive repression. And I mean, I have lost count now of how many people have been killed by uh, the army. The army was used against the unarmed protesters, the police using uh, rifles, assault rifles and so on, firing on unarmed uh, population. And I think that uh, up until now, between 60 and 70 protesters have been killed 
And there's forensic evidence that a big majority of them were killed by police and the army using uh, fire weapons against the unarmed uh, population. And so this is basically what's been happening in, in Peru. Now there's been a certain pause in the movement, if you want, uh, because of the carnival celebrations, but uh, the Aymara and the Quechua uh, peasants and workers in the south, in Puno, for instance, they're mobilizing again towards the capital, and the aim is to remove this uh, undemocratic government. What are they asking for? They're asking for some basic things. Uh, the Pedro Castillo should be released from jail, where he has been uh, put, that the Congress, which is extremely corrupt, illegitimate, and, uh, and uh, should, should be closed down. And the Dina Boluarte, who is the new uh, so-called president, responsible for the killing of uh, many people, say about 60 people, should be removed from uh, from power. That's that's the, that she should resign. That's the basic demands that they are that they are putting forward. You know, it's interesting that in the 21st century, we're still using words as democracy and capitalism as if they could possibly ever coexist. While it seems that people um, want to cultivate peace, you know, the machine of war seems to be always going, right? And, uh, and throughout Latin America, we've seen the aggression of the U.S. empire. How are we doing as a region, you know, in the shadow of U.S. invasions elsewhere, you know, as we notice the level of violence and the level of um, not just, you know, a commitment to endless war that they seem to be uh, promoting using NATO as their shield, you know, into this perpetual war with Russia? Yes, I mean, they, they now uh, claim that NATO is just a defensive uh, alliance. But this is very far from the truth. This is completely cynical. NATO is the most powerful reactionary imperialist force on Earth. And the United States and the rest of NATO countries spend masses, uh, massive amounts of money in uh, perpetuating this uh, war machine. And NATO has intervened in a whole number of countries when no NATO countries have been uh, involved or attacked, like uh, in Afghanistan, when, when the NATO bombing of Serbia in the 1990s, uh, the invasion of Afghanistan, which lasted until very recently. All, all of this uh, is clear that the, the NATO is the, is the long arm of U.S. imperialism. For, for 30 years now, they've been, uh, they've been closing in on Russia, surrounding Russia from all sides. So when, when you think about the war in Ukraine, it'd be foolish to think that this is just the result of the, the madness of one man in, in the Kremlin that decided uh, completely out of uh, reason to invade a neighboring country. No, no, this is the result of, of years. Russia had been promised that uh, NATO will not advance towards the east uh, at the time of uh, the reunification of Germany in 1989. But all these promises were broken. Uh, the United States imperialism organized regime change in a whole number of uh, Eastern uh, countries, which were formerly, uh, for, which were previously part of the Soviet Union. And Russia saw this as, uh, as a threat to the national security. Now, now Russia is a, is a capitalist country. Russia is not, it's not progressive. And, and Putin is a reactionary uh, leader who attacks the, the rights of workers, attacks uh, pension rights, and so on. So in, in that, he's not very different 
from our own rulers in in the West. But when he says that uh, he he was uh, provoked into this uh, war, that, uh, that NATO has been uh, is a threat to Russia, uh, he is not wrong. Just imagine, for instance, if if the United States what will be the response of the United States if, say, Canada and Mexico were going to join a military alliance with uh, Russia and, um, and, and Russian troops and uh, missiles were going to be stationed in uh, Mexico and Canada? What will be the response of the United States? They will say, oh, our, our national security is, is under threat. And we know that because that's exactly what happened in 1961-62 when, when there was an attempt to install uh, Soviet missiles in Cuba. And uh, this almost led to a, to, a, to, to a nuclear confrontation with the United States that did not accept that at all. So, I mean, that's, that's, the, way things, uh, that's the way things go. Capitalism means war and uh, destruction because capitalism is, is not just uh, based in one country, but it's based on imperialism, on, on the expoliation of resources from other countries in the fight for the control of uh, natural resources, uh, areas of influence, markets for their products and cheap labor and so on. And this is basically what's behind this war in, what's behind this war in, in Ukraine. And quite rightly, the United States is not getting much support for the war aims or the war efforts from Latin American countries or, or in fact for, for most of the, of the countries around the world, in, in Africa, in Asia. There's not a lot of appetite for this war. And why is this? Because these countries, in these countries, the people have experience of what it means to be at the receiving end of U.S. Uh, imperialism. So they, they don't necessarily want to take sides in this, um, in this question. But at the same time, this war is extremely, extremely costly. The, the United States is forcing, uh, uh, I mean, the United States itself, but also forcing Europe to send mass, uh, massive amounts of money, of weaponry, of ammunition, of, uh, and so on, to this war in uh, Ukraine to make sure that Russia cannot win, or, or rather that Ukraine doesn't uh, lose the, the, the war, which it doesn't seem to be going exactly the, the way. But this money is money that could be used for, for health spending, for education, uh, be, be used for, for many useful things that is now been uh, thrown down the drain of, of war and, and destruction. And the more money is uh, sent, uh, the, the more this war is uh, prolonged and creates uh, further, further destruction. This is the nature of capitalism in, this, in its uh, imperialist uh, age. Really. But we know that we have now recovered from the depression of 2007, that, you know, the debt just keeps ballooning. The U.S. has over $31 trillion in debt right now. And while they're bolstering, you know, funding pensions for Ukrainian soldiers fighting against Russia, the U.S. is, is collapsing internally. Their, their debts are out of, you know, uh, unsustainable. Um, so... Can we talk about the profitability of violence? Because there are some winners in this war. You know, we've seen massive uh, trillions of dollars for those who manufacture weapons. But also, the war in Iraq was not a um, benign war. You know, we were told they were liberating children and women and whatever. But at the end of the day, the war cost $13 trillion that the U.S. people paid. 
And the only ones who benefited were so-called the companies that were hired to rebuild that country after it was destroyed. And so let, let's talk about the face of imperialism and how this so-called rhetoric of democracy bringing um, not only undermines our efforts of someday having a democracy, you know, th where people are participants and also key catalysts of how we organize our social affairs. Yes, I mean, uh, a long time ago, at the time of the First World War, Lenin uh, was asked, oh, but, but war is terrible, he, he was told by someone. He said, yeah, war is terrible. It's terribly profitable. And this, this is the truth. Uh, while people are being uh, bombed and houses are being destroyed, infrastructure is being destroyed in uh, Ukraine, there are people rubbing their hands, the arms manufacturers on both sides of this uh, conflict, but particularly in, in the West. Uh, now there, there is talk that uh, NATO stockpiles of ammunition are running uh, low because so much is being used in this war in Ukraine. And uh, weapons companies turn around and say, yes, well, give us a contract and we'll build more, we'll ramp up production. And this is, this is how war is also used to increase the profits of the arms uh, manufacturers. As, as for democracy, well, I mean, there is very little left of democracy in Ukraine. As a matter of fact, the Communist Party was banned in uh, 2014. A number of other parties have now been banned and the spurious uh, excuses. The, ma the mass media is controlled by the government. There's no critical uh, voices allowed. Uh, and so basically there's not much left of democracy to defend in uh, Ukraine, in the same way that there wasn't any democracy to defend in, uh, in Afghanistan. And uh, the result of the U.S. invasion has been no, no has 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 been has not been more democracy, but but the opposite. And uh, there's all these other examples of uh, countries that had a democracy, where the United States didn't like the governments, the the governments, and they just removed them through a military coup, through a military invasion, and and so on. This, this is the, the democracy is just a fig leaf. Uh, for instance, yesterday. I think it was a couple of days ago, there was this, this vote at the United Nations, uh, overwhelming vote against uh, Russia in uh, relation to Ukraine. And so now this is in the, in the headlines of, uh, of the newspapers. But, but they don't tell what they don't tell you is that the United Nations has voted for many years. I think it's now 20 or 25 years, every single year, an overwhelming resolution against the U.S. blockade of Cuba. Uh, and, 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 and obviously Washington hasn't taken slightest, slightest bit of uh, notice. Or the United Nations resolutions in relation to Israeli occupation of Palestine have also been uh, ignored. In fact, uh, whenever they talk about uh, democracy, this is just a cover for the real naked interests of the big companies, the big multinationals, which are the ones who really rule the governments in their own uh, private interest. This has nothing to do with democracy. Democracy is supposed to be the, the, the common ownership of the means of uh, production and the democratic planning of the economy with the, with the participation of everyone so that the economy is run in the interest of the many and not the profits of the unelected uh, privileged few. Uh, 
what we have is really not, not democracy, but the dictatorship of capital. With so much um, drumming of war in Canada, it seems like, you know, being so close to the States, the government has decided the only option is more war. You know, we have, there is very little in our news media about peace or even, you know, speaking of peace seems to be an act of, you know, disloyalty, you know. And, and so it seems like we are in very surreal times you know it's hard to imagine to be in a society where the only talk is more war and nuclear war can be something a cost to celebrate so where do you find hope where do you find your inspiration uh when you see that there there is there's there there is a struggle and uh we seem to be subsume you know by the the empire machine of war making and perennial work at that perennial war <laughs> at that you yes. know, it just... there, there are many places where you can draw uh, optimism from like for instance the movement in peru in, in peru the, the people have not resigned themselves to the fact that the president they elected has been removed by the multinationals they've come out on the streets and, and, and risking their lives, 660 have been uh, killed, but nevertheless, they're still on the streets. They have resilience. I don't know, I mean, two, was it two, year, two, three years ago, there was the big Black Lives Matter movement in the United States where millions of people, I think, according to one figure, 26 million people came out on the streets against racism, institutional racism, and police uh, violence. This is quite amazing. Um, the, the people want change. The people can't stand this uh, anymore, uh, but, but uh, and, and they're prepared to come out on the streets in the millions in, in some occasions. There's been huge movements across Latin America, for instance, for, for abortion uh, rights against violence on uh, women in Argentina, in, uh, in Mexico, in, in Chile. Uh, there's been huge uprisings in Chile, in Ecuador, in Colombia. Uh, and even the most reactionary governments have been uh, removed. The people are prepared to fight if they are offered a clear way forward and a clear alternative. What sometimes happens is that the leadership of these struggles is not up to the task. Now, what is the task? In, in my opinion, the task is not uh, to change the system a little bit, to tinker with its worst uh, aspects. Some people say we must fight against neoliberalism. And I say, yes, let's fight against neoliberalism. But neoliberalism is the only phase of capitalism in this particular epoch of uh, crisis. So, so you need to pose the questions sharply and openly. What we need to fight is against capitalism, against imperialism, and replace it by a new system, a system of democratic participation and control over the economy and, uh, and the political processes, a, a socialism. And this is the only fight that is worth uh, fighting. And um, I, I think we should be optimistic for two reasons. One, because there's no other alternative. And number two, because we, we see uh, all around us, there's a new generation of young people who've grown up in this uh, period of uh, crisis, of war, of imperialism, uh, destruction of the climate, and they are rising up. They are at the forefront of all of these movements, movement against uh, imperialism, the movement against uh, the destruction of the, of the planet, the movement uh, for women's uh, rights, against violence, uh, against racism, 
against police, uh, racism, and so on. And this is really the future. This is the future. Uh, and, and these people, these uh, young people, they deserve uh, a leadership, an organization that uh, is capable of uh, bringing them to, to victory once and for all. Thank you so much for being with us today, and thank you for all your work. How can people access your work? Um, yes, thank you. It was, a, it was a pleasure to be with you. I mean, the Hands of Venezuela campaign you can find on social media and on uh, our website, handsofvenezuela.org. I'm also, <coughs> sorry, on the editorial board of In Defense of Marxism, Marxist uh, website, which you can find on marxist.com. Thank you again for being with us. Take care. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an independently produced syndicated radio program made available for free to campus and community radios and also to the world at latinwavesmedia.com.